Some days I just want Kim to keep on playing, you know? Uh, she's fair on the piano, I guess. And I want to congratulate y'all for braving Hurricane Florence and showing up today. Um, we do need to pray for those folks in North Carolina. It looks like Wilmington. Every time I look at the map, they've got storms going over their heads. So they've had tons of water on top of them. We need to pray for those people. And, uh, and we're just glad to have a little bit of rain. If you would, go ahead and open up your Bibles, if you would, to Genesis chapter 5. That's where we're at. There's 32 verses in chapter 5. We will not be reading them this morning. Uh, we will read parts of it as we go along, but we're not going to read the entirety of the Scripture. While you're looking at it, uh, there are three things that we're going to look for this morning. First thing we're going to do, the first question we're going to answer is, why do we cry when we have a baby? Why do we cry when we have a baby? Second thing we're going to look at is we give two gifts to our children. What are those gifts? Every parent gives two gifts to their children. What are those gifts? And the third question is, is why in the world would you want to bring a child into this world anyway? Considering what the world's like, why in the world would you bring a child into this world? Those are the three things we're going to look at. First question, those little different thing here and and it does sort of kind of relate and I don't know if you've ever had <clears throat> excuse me a bible verse that tormented you uh, but I've, I've I've got one I've got one that tormented me for years and years and years now before I read it I want to help you understand for those bible scholars that when I tell what this verse is and you immediately go well Randy that means so and so yeah I know that now I didn't know that then and it tormented me. And it comes from 1 John, and this is the verse. It says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father's not in him. And yet, I would look around, and I love the world. And that, that verse would scare me because it says very plainly, if, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father's not in him. And I love the world. I love the way God put this world together. I love the beauty that God put into this world. I love the things that he allows us and gives us to enjoy. I love those things. And forever, you know, I love these. I must be, you know, and, but I understand now. But, you know, that's the deal. This week, my son Luke and I had to go to Huntsville, Alabama. Now, on the way to Huntsville, he and I set it up so that we weren't in a hurry and we could just sort of go, you know? We didn't take the interstates. You don't see anything on the interstates except Wendy's signs and McDonald's signs, but we got off and we went up through the woods. And going up through the woods, I hate to admit it, but Alabama is a very beautiful, a very beautiful state. They got a really bad ball team we don't want to talk about but they've got a it's a gorgeous state it is a very very beautiful state we passed through some towns that reminded me so much of my childhood now I, I feel like that I need to say this about that I know there are people that say that us older folks you know, we yearn for the old days of, of racism and sexism and people were separated and all that kind of stuff. I don't have another word for it. I've looked for another word, but let me just help you understand. That's stupid if you say that, okay? I don't have another word. That's just plain stupid. We're not looking for racism. We're not looking for sexism. We're looking for simple. Simple. Simpler times. As I drove through Alabama, I saw I saw fields to play in and woods to hike in. 
That's all children are thinking about. Children don't think about sexism and racism. They think about playing hide-and-go-seat out in the woods. I saw streams that you could play in, trains going down the railroad tracks. I don't know if there's a boy alive that don't like a train, and we got to see the rail grinder. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen that or not, but the rail grinder is the thing. It like fills in potholes, except instead of filling in the potholes, it grinds the rails and makes them smooth for the trains to run on. Yeah, and when it goes down, sparks fly everywhere, and there's smart, uh, smoke, and there's dust, and there's everything that a kid wants. And, and Luke and I would... We saw the train, so we pulled in and watched it, and it got on past us, and then we zipped on up ahead of it and, and pulled in and watched it pass again, and then we pulled out and zipped on up the street and pulled over and watched it pass again until we finally figured they might call the law on us, and we went somewhere else. But it's cool, simple things. The drive to Huntsville takes you over the Tennessee River. <clears throat> if you've never been over the Tennessee River, it's gorgeous. And this particular day, it was just as blue as blue could be. We came down off of the mountain that brings you into the Tennessee Valley, and there's the, the, the trees are just starting to turn a little bit. You could catch glimpses of the, of the river as you, uh, as you go down through the trees, but then you come and you cross it, and it's just gorgeous. And Luke and I said, we've, we've got to come up here fishing one day. That's just all there is to it. It's begging somebody to fish. It was gorgeous. Even the sky cooperated puffy cotton kind of clouds floating through the sky and guys I apologize I had to look up the color it's azure blue I know us guys you know there's blue red green they don't have all that fancy girly stuff but this was azure it was it was a different color blue altogether it was that blue it was gorgeous and I was with my son and life doesn't get better you see all of God and all of this creation Paul tells us that, that we see him in creation, and it's good stuff. It's good. Sometimes we look for it, and sometimes he says, be still and take, just look at this, and you see it. Our scripture talks about something that's like that, where God speaks to us. I had two ways that we could go with this scripture. <clears throat> One of them, we could talk about Enoch and walking with the Lord, or we could talk about this. And I kept coming back to this. So let's talk about this. Where am I at? There we are. Genesis chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. This is the document containing the family records of Adam. On the day that God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female. When they were created, he blessed them and called them mankind... Adam was 130 years old when he fathered a son in his likeness, according to his image, and named him Seth. Seth. Now, when I hear something once, I go, okay. But when I hear something twice, especially this close together, that's telling me that there's something here that I need to pay attention to. We go back to Genesis chapter 1. Moses has already told us about creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We already know that. And then we get to chapter 2, and he sort of fleshes out that creation story a little bit more. And then we get to chapter 3, where we find out about the fall and how sin comes into the world, and all of that happens. And then we get to chapter 4, and we see Cain and Abel, and Cain killing Abel and Cain being exiled and the, and the whole lineage of Cain. And then here we are in chapter 5, the beginning of chapter 5, and we start all over again with a creation story. 
on the day that God created man, he made him, now listen to the words, made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female. When they were created, he blessed them and called them mankind. Now, if you go back to Genesis chapter 1, you hear this. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. God blessed them. Do you notice the difference? The only difference between those two is that in Genesis 5, God named them mankind. Back in those days, names were very important. If you knew somebody's name, you knew their identity. And so what he's doing here is giving us our identity, we are mankind. In a politically correct world, you might translate that humanity because mankind here means men and women. It's very, very plain what he's saying. So God's, God's got all of this activity firmly in mind, all right? Now, we understand what's happened. We understand what's said. Now, listen. Genesis chapter 5, verse 3. Adam was 130 years old when he fathered a son. Listen, fathered a son in his likeness according to his image, and named him Seth. At the end of chapter 4, Moses tells us that Adam was intimate with his wife and they had a son. But this, now this is important, the child was in his likeness, was in his likeness. The child that Adam and Eve created was in their likeness, just like they were in God's likeness. Have you ever looked at a baby that was born and said they look just like their granddaddy? Or their grandmama, have you ever done that? In their likeness. See, what, what Moses is telling us here is that when Adam and Eve had this child, that this child was not only in the image of Adam, this child was in the image of God. That that image of God, that God created Adam in, that Adam passed that image down to his child. That's the first gift you give your child. The first gift you give your child is the image of God childbirth I am at war here okay I want you to understand that that is my attitude I am at war because you are under siege we are under siege I saw a commercial on television the other day that I'm not going to tell you I was just looking for something to watch you know I'm sitting there in my chair, and I just want something mindless on television that I don't have to think about, and I'm doom, 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 doom. And you know what I found? Rocky II. Yes! Oh, man, any Rocky movie is a good movie, you know? Rocky II, he's going to get to Creed again. Here we go, 15th round. They both fall down. Who's going to get up before they count 10? It's Rocky II. And in this this program, Rocky II, this commercial came on that if I had small children, I would have been diving on top of those children to say, you can't see this. And I'm not going to tell you what it was, what it was all about. It was the most startling commercial that I have ever seen in my life. Absolutely startling. And what the commercial was trying to show is that all this is normal. All this is normal, and it's in my living room, convincing me that everything's okay. This is all normal. It's all right. 
And I am wanting you to understand because God made me understand this week that when you become a parent, you are a co-creator with God and childbirth is sacred. Do you understand? Childbirth is sacred. And when you're holding that little newborn in your arms and and you've got that funny feeling inside of you, part of that funny feeling is the recognition that you are holding a being that was created in the image of God. Childbirth is sacred. Childbirth is sacred because when a man and a woman have a baby, they pass on the image of God that their, that their parents gave to them and their parents gave them all the way back up to Adam. That that image of God is passed down. That's the first good gift that you give to your children. Now what, what is that image? What is that image? The, the primary commentary that I use written by a guy by the name of Alan Ross and he says that the image of God is the spiritual capacities that were imparted to Adam and Eve that endowed them listen that endowed them with the ability and responsibility to represent God on earth that is you do you understand that do you understand that that you have the image of God within you. You were created, you were created to reflect God on this earth. That you were created, given the ability and the responsibility to represent God. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about when you're giving birth to a child, that that child is coming into the earth, your baby is coming into the earth to represent God on this earth. And whether you've thought about it or not, that's true. You're not only passing on your big nose and your big ears. You know, you're not only passing on a pointy chin and a scad full of black hair or whatever it is that you've got, you're not only passing on that, you're passing on a part of your identity, an identity that was given by God. You're giving that child the image of God. You are giving that child, that is its purpose. And this is where I get angry, and this is where we're at war. Because, see, the evil one has convinced our world that the joy of intimacy is the feeling that intimacy brings. There is nothing sacred here. There is nothing spiritual here. There is nothing more here than us doing what animals do. And if you believe, if you believe that we are nothing but time plus matter plus chance form the primordial ooze that somehow through some great cosmic coincidence formed a cell that turned into us, then that is all we're doing. Then that's absolutely all we're doing. But if you believe that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and that we're created in God's image, then there is something else going on here. Two things that I saw lately. I'm confessing a sin. I am addicted to Twitter. And I am going to turn it off as soon as I muster the willpower for a week or so. But I've read two things there in the last couple of days that that illustrate this. And you're going to think, well, I'm Randy, that's ridiculous. It's not. It's not. There was an article about a lion that had a relationship with two lionesses. Okay? It's nature. 
for a male to have two women. It's natural. And you're saying, well, Randy, nobody would ever. Yeah. And what have you seen lately in commercials on television? Help me here. It's normal. It's normal. It's normal. And then I read this other article written by a former Southern Baptist, or maybe she's still a Southern Baptist, I don't know. But she was going on about the purity movement. Back in the 80s, the Southern Baptist Convention had a thing called True Love Waits. I don't even know if it's still alive or not. But the, our students would go through that, and they would pledge purity that they're not going to have intimacy until they get married. And they had rings that they would give and all this kind of stuff. And she said she got so psyched out about this and so traumatized by it all that she had to write a book that said, no, listen, because if you were here and heard the sermon the other week, you're going to hear what I said then. She said that she had to write a book that separated sexuality from God because she said the two don't belong together. Remember that girl I talked about the other day with the TED Talk? That, you know, the way to happiness, you remember that? And just a little separation there between we want to make rituals. Instead of rituals being uh, sacred, we want to make them um, secular, move them apart, do the same thing here with sex. That's what our society is wanting to do. This is the subtlety. If you haven't learned this yet in Genesis, learn it today. This is the subtlety of the evil one. When you take the sacred out, when you remove God from it, that you prove that whatever we're talking about is just normal human activity. When you do that, watch what happens. I am old enough to have seen this happen in my lifetime. I've seen it with my own two eyes. I understand it. We took the sacredness out of intimacy, and now we have 80 million children who were never born because a mother's choice is just a choice to get rid of this child. Children that were created by conception to be in the image of God, to reflect God's glory on this earth, there's 80 million children who did not get the opportunity to reflect God's glory because we separated sacredness from childbirth. And you think about all the other stuff that went along with it now. Motherhood is denigrated. Marriage is marginalized. Porn is everywhere simply because the evil one very subtly got in and said it's not sacred, it's just fun. And once he did that, man, all the stuff that broke loose. The scripture explains how that deception is possible. If childbirth means that we are co-creators with God, that there is a sacredness in the birth of a child, and we are passing down the good gift of the imago dei, the image of God, we're passing that down to our children, then something else must have gotten passed down as well. I'm going to read some not-so-random scriptures here from Genesis chapter 5. Here we go. 
So Adam's life lasted 930 years, then he died. So Seth's life lasted 912 years, then he died. So Enosh's life lasted 905 years, then he died. So Kenan's life lasted 910 years, then he died. So Mahalahel's life lasted 895 years, then he died. So Jared's life lasted 962 years, then he died. So Methuselah's life lasted 969 years, then he died. So Lamech's life lasted 777 years, then he died. Anybody catch the theme what three words then he died then he died that's the not so good gift that we pass down to our children see when a child is born we pass on the good gift of the image of God but when the child is also born we pass on another gift as well if you remember from what we've studied Genesis chapter 2 and the Lord God commanded the man you are free to eat You are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for on the day you eat from it, you will surely die, okay? We know that. We studied it. We understand it. And then we hear this in Genesis chapter 3 that says, and he said to the man, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, do not eat from it. The ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. You will eat the plants of the field. You will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground since you were taken from it, for you are dust, and to dust you will return. God pointed out to Adam that there is a horrible consequence for sin, a horrible consequence for rebellion. And yet Adam rebelled anyway. So Adam died, but he passed, he died before he passed, I mean, he died after he passed on this gift to his children. He passed on his sin nature, and the curse follows it. So now we've passed on two things to our children. We've passed on a good thing the image of God, but we've also passed on a a bad thing, our sin nature and the curse. Paul says this in Romans chapter 5, therefore just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death spread to all people because all have sinned. The very moment of conception, we pass on to that child a good gift and a not so good gift. The very nature, listen to me because this is something that's got to sink into our heads. The very nature that could lead your child or your grandchild, lead them to utter and complete eternal destruction. Do you understand? From the moment of conception. But sacred birth can have a happy ending. Genesis 5, 29 says, And he named him Noah, saying, This one will bring relief from the agonizing labor of our hands caused by the ground that the Lord has cursed. Now, Noah's dead was right, but not like he thought he was right. All right? Ladies, I don't relate to you in this department. I've never had a baby. Don't intend on having a baby. I was there when mine were born. That was enough. Thank you very much. But once the baby was home, then I felt that it was my responsibility to help that child grow up in the way in which he should grow. So as my child were very, very small and were in the crib, had just been born, my firstborn boy got a football. 
Now, the football, I was reminded by a number of people, was as big as the child was. But here's what I was thinking. Now, ladies, again, I don't know. I know you play softball. I know you do all that stuff. And I don't mean to be sexist. I've never been a woman. I can't speak to that. But I can speak to what it's like for a guy. There is nothing like the smell of a football. I'm just telling you right now. A ball glove, played a lot of softball. There is nothing like the smell of a ball glove. You sort of hold it sometimes, you know? I don't know if y'all got your little candles going everywhere. Give me a ball glove smelling candle, you know? And we're happy. So what I figured was, is if I put that football into Ben's crib, then by osmosis, he would get that smell in his nose, and one day I would be on the sidelines going, that's my boy running down the field. Uh-huh. Ben was on the football field, playing the trombone. <laughs> yeah, buddy, he was in the marching band, but I had two boys. Uh-huh, I had two boys. Second boy got himself a football, too. He was on the football field, too, playing the tuba. <laughs> yeah, yeah, see, they don't grow up with what you think the dream is. You have dreams for them. Noah's daddy had a dream for Noah but it wasn't, it didn't turn out like Noah's dad thought it was going to turn out. The boy will save us, but not like he thought. Noah was 500 years old, Scripture says. Noah was 500 years old. He fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. I hope one of you have triplets and you name them Shem, Ham, and Japheth. I just think that would be ridiculous. When we go back to the line of Jesus now, when you go back to the Scripture and you see the line of Jesus, you will see the name Shem in that lineage. Because the image of God was transmitted through Noah to Shem, we get to hear this wonderful verse that we hear every Christmas. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. It's this child, this descendant of Shem, that teaches us that we need to be born again. Now, let's make the final point here by answering this question. Why in the world would anybody want to bring a child? Why would anybody want to bring a child into this world? And the answer is simple. The execution just requires diligence. We bring a child into this world because the image of God in us compels us to be co-creators with him, to bring other children into this world that can reflect his glory and can be his emissaries on this earth. That's why, we're, that's why we have children. We are compelled for these children to be born to reflect the glory of God. And we bring these children into the world knowing that they live under the curse. So that's why our diligence is so necessary. Now, you're going to say when you leave today that he was very combative. I am at war. So if you hear me being combative, you got the right idea. I am combative today. And some of the things that we talk about might not land in your ears the way you want them to land. Don't translate it. Let them sit there. Because, see, your child is born into this world with the image of God in it, 
that can be followed and can be and and we can trust Christ as our Savior and live in eternity, or your child has a nature that you delivered to that child by the fact that it was born from you, and that nature can lead your child to eternal destruction. Now you need to know first, as the parent, you need to know Christ as your Lord and Savior. Period. You need to have a relationship with Jesus so that you are faithful to Christ. Parents have to listen to the Holy Spirit and trust that Jesus died on the cross, was buried and resurrected for their sins, and that those sins of theirs, listen to me, those sins of yours were nailed to the cross, went to the tomb, can never be brought out again. So that you don't walk around feeling like you've got to do this or that or the other thing or I'm never good enough or not. You are free. When, when Jesus went to the cross and died for your sins, he took your sins with him. You're free to live your life. Now, does that mean I don't follow the Ten Commandments? No, it means that I look at the Ten Commandments and go, that's what God loves. That's what God wants. I want to be like him, so I'm going to do my best to be like him, but I know sometimes I'm not going to be like him because somebody's going to walk in and say, isn't this a gorgeous dress? And I'm going to say, yes, honey, it's a gorgeous dress, when it looks like a moo-moo. I mean, it's awful. So yeah, I've lied. but I'm not going to go to hell because my wife never wears anything that I was not referring to her. <laughs> Just to make sure we're straight. But you understand what I'm saying? You've got to pass that on to your children that you were saved to eternal life and that you are free from condemnation. That that child can grow up knowing that no matter what anybody says to it and no matter what anybody treats that child, that child will know that I am born in the image of God. I am a child of the king. Nobody can tell me that I'm not a good person. Nobody can tell me that I'm worthless. Nobody can tell me that I'm ugly or I'm fat or anything else in the world because I belong to Jesus. You've got to know that first. Do you understand me? Secondly, you got to give it to your kids. You got to give it to your kids. And you go, well, I don't have kids. I'm too old. I haven't had kids yet. If you haven't had kids yet and you're young, you probably will. So you ought to pay attention. And if you're old and you've got grandkids, well, grand, take that off. And you hear the word kids. This applies to you as well. Parents have to be diligent to raise their children in the faith. You've got to be diligent to tell your children what the truth is. They may not follow you, but they need to hear it from you. It is a fool's errand to say that I'm going to allow my child to choose what they're going to believe. That is foolish. It is wrong. You do not hand your kids a set of keys and say, honey, go drive the car. That could get them killed. But if you don't teach them Jesus, they could die for all eternity. Why would you want that? How could you possibly want that? And that's why this is so difficult. The execution requires diligence. We have to remember all the time that I've got to preach this into my children. 
I've got to teach this to my children. And other people are going to tell you that you're wrong and that this is archaic and you are bigoted and you're everything else in the world. You stand firm. The truth is what we've got to live by. Not feelings. Feelings follow truth. Truth does not follow feelings. All right. So, you understand what I'm talking about? There was a baby born in Bethlehem who was your Savior. Do you understand that? Do you teach your children and your grandchildren that Jesus died for their sins? Get you the Jesus Storybook Bible and read it to them all the time and let them know that Jesus died for their sins. When you look into the eyes of your children, do you see the glory of God residing there? Do you see the image of God? And do you realize how sacred your life is? Don't you let Satan tell you that you are anything other than a child of God because he has called you and he has made you his own and there is no one bigger or better than him. Let's pray. Father, in this moment, Father, open our eyes to see your sacred hand on our lives. Shock us, Father, into stillness. Steal from us our very breath. Cause us to repent from the foolishness of the ways of the evil one. He is so subtle and crafty, and he kills by the millions. Father, keep us from the evil one. Convince us in this hour of the incredible, almost overwhelming responsibility we have to live as mirrors to reflect your glory and to raise our sons and daughters to understand that they too were given life and breath to proclaim the glory of God. Let us not grow faint in our pursuit. Let us not grow weary by the badgering of a Satan-driven society who is blinded to the truth. Father, grant us the power to overcome, the power to be conquerors, the power to be found faithful, the power to stand in your sight until the very end. And Lord God, con confirm in each person here your image and give us the will to proclaim your name as great and wonderful and holy and marvelous as long as we have breath in our lungs and then throughout eternity as we stand with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'll tell you like I told the folks in first service this morning, the invitation sort of strange because if you come down after you talk about children like that, everybody's going to think, well, they're not good parents or they think they're not good parents. So let's just dispense with that and ask you to pray where you are for your children and for your grandchildren 
and for you as you lead them. Pray for yourselves that you will stand strong in the face of a world who is telling you all sorts of things that sound right but are wrong. Your children need Jesus. Pray that you can give that to them. If there is someone this morning that is here that does not, has not made a commitment to trust Christ as their Savior, let me implore you this morning that what I said is true. Jesus died on a cross so that your sins could be forgiven, so that you could have everlasting life. doesn't mean go to heaven when you die. It means from this moment forward, you're not under that sin nature and you're not under the curse anymore. That's all gone. And now you are free to live your life and free to love in ways that you never knew you could before. If you, if you feel that stirring in your heart, that's the Holy Spirit telling you to repent. It's a church word that means, I don't want to do it the way I used to. I want to do it your way. And I can't do it. So please, Father, save me. If you've done that, I invite you to come forward and talk to me. You can come after the service, talk to me, Logan. We'll be happy to talk to you about it. But you've got to know Jesus first. It's incredibly important. Would you stand together? Let's all bow our heads. Uh, Mom and dads, let's pray a special prayer for you. Father, this morning, I know that there are moms and dads all over the place. I see them and know them. And Father, I know that the world is fraught with peril. And uh, I believe because of the way we can communicate nowadays, it's even more dangerous than it's ever been before. And Lord, I know I've worried for my children. And I know these parents worry for theirs as well. I pray, Lord, that you bless the parents today with a calm assurance that as they teach Jesus to their children, as they read the Bible to them at night before they go to bed, as they say prayers together, as they see things and, and just make comments every now and then about what God's done, that you would assure them, Lord, you would assure them that they are doing what you've called them to do to lead their children to you. I pray, Lord, as the church partners with parents that we can reinforce that teaching that they get at home, that they can understand Jesus as their Savior and they will make that commitment. And Lord, for the parents whose children have grown and, and many of them have gone ways that we, we didn't expect or didn't want them to go. Lord, assure the parents even today that you are God and you are in control. Implore them to continue to pray for that child. And we pray, Lord, that that child would come home to you one day. We thank you, Lord. Thank you for blessing us and for loving us. We thank you for bringing us Logan and for the singing that we get to do, for all the musicians that we have, Lord, and for all that they do, and for the people that work in the sound booth and all that they do. 
Father, we thank you for what you've given us at this church, but most of all, we thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit who reminds us that we are in the image of God. We thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.